This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, where Dan Spader of Sun Life led a track called Transforming the Culture of Youth Ministry. Here's today's track session from Sun Life. I want to welcome everybody to our, our session. This has been sort of like a youth ministry track. Um, have any of you guys not been in this room for, any, for the other sessions? Because some of the things I can reference, but I want to make sure that if I reference them, that I bring you up to speed on those things. All right, no worries. We'll do that. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll get, we'll get going. I'm sure none of the other um, workshops prayed beforehand, but we love Jesus in this workshop, and so we're going we're gonna to ask him to speak. Hey, good morning again, Father. We uh, humble ourselves before you, um, knowing that you're good to us, you're generous to us, um, on, on a wide scale, just your great salvation and mercy and grace that you've extended to us. But on a, on a smaller scale, Lord, we woke up this morning and we can breathe. And we've got, many of us have spouses and, and, and kids, and, and they're a blessing, and and um, you've given us good friends, and if we didn't come here with friends, we're probably leaving with some friends. So we thank you for all those things and, and, and ask you now uh, to speak to us. I know we've been getting information like crazy over the last 24 hours, and uh, pray, Lord, that, that we'd be able to just sort of squeeze the sponge of the brain a little bit to allow some more information to come in. But, Lord, we want it to lead to transformation. We want it to impact the, the way that we make disciples uh, we want to impact the way that we're, we're building disciple-making ministries uh, in our churches or, or other ministries. We want it to, to make a difference. We don't want it to be just empty words and, and wasted time. We, we pray that this time would be redeemed and that we would hear from you and that we would really get some practical help um, in, in developing disciples and, and building the disciple-making movement. Uh, so please bless this time. Help us to enjoy each other here and, and hear from you uh, through Jesus. Amen. Hey, uh, my name is uh, Joel Zaborowski. I'm a, I'm a 50-year-old father of three, sort of four, because my, my oldest daughter, uh, my only daughter, she's married, so I've got a son-in-law also, 23-year-old daughter, 23-year-old son-in-law, 20-year-old son who's a junior in college, and a 16-year-old son, or he'll be 16 next week, who's a sophomore in high school. So I got like junior or senior high, college, and, and young adult in my family. Uh, so I'm a father of three slash four, a husband of one. Uh, my wife, Stacy, I've been married 27 years. Uh, been in ministry, full-time ministry, vocational ministry, 28 years. A um, lot of years as specifically as a youth pastor at a church. But if you're in youth ministry, you know that you know, when you're called a youth pastor, that means you know, there's other stuff too. Associate pastor stuff, did that. One of those years while I was a youth pastor was the interim senior pastor when the senior pastor left and just did double duty for a whole year and then planted a church. I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, was a pastor and youth pastor in, in, in Ohio, planted a church in Montana, so senior pastor there and, and now uh, on staff with Sun Life. I'm a missionary, uh, director of leader development in the United States, uh, working to train, coach, and mentor emerging leaders uh, across the U.S. Um, 
you might think like, okay, you did a youth pastor for a while, senior pastor, but if any of you all have senior pastor and you've youth pastor before that, you still youth pastor when you're at the church. So when we planted the church, um, we were also leading the youth ministry in our home and then in our church building. And so I guess you could really say all those 28 years investing in students. Um, anybody in here in student ministry, involved in student ministry now? Anybody involved in associate pastor ministry? Uh, senior pastor ministry? Okay, I, I've, I've written a lot of this for specifically for youth ministry, but it, it translates to all a ministry too. So when I talk about a ministry team, uh, when I was a senior pastor, my deacons were my ministry team. And then as they developed into elders, they were my ministry team. And so um, irregardless of what uh, section of ministry that you're overseeing, I think this is really relatable to that. Um, let's start off by, gonna, before we talk about how to start a ministry team, going to look at, at the why start a ministry team. And uh, with our ministry of sun life, it's all about the sun's life. We look at the life of Jesus and how did he make disciples. And let's, let's do it the same way he did. Like I'm a Polish kid. My last name's Zaborowski. I uh, grew up in a small town, 400 people in my town. So we had, um, there was one blinking light in my town. There's one restaurant in that town, one gas station. There was a hardware store, and that's closed down now. We had a bank, but it was only open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The bank was... And uh, there was a, a pizza shop and three bars. That was my hometown growing up. So I'm just this, this stupid Polish kid. Grew up in this little town. My dad was an alcoholic, and he was bipolar. Now, in baseball, you get three strikes. I already had four strikes just growing up where I did. So when it comes to how, trying to figure out ministry and how to make disciples, um, I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. But I, I was smart enough to look at the life of Jesus. How did he make disciples? And why try to reinvent the wheel? Let's just study Jesus. What did he do? And how did he make disciples? So that's what Sun Life's been doing for the last 38 years uh, in different countries around the world now, over 100 countries. And we just try to look at Jesus. And we focus on helping leaders to, first of all, be a disciple maker first. So that we can, you know, we've got to be disciple makers. And then how do we build a disciple making ministry? God's given us a stewardship of a ministry, and how can I build it to make disciples look with Jesus as our model? And then we try to, besides be a disciple maker, build a disciple making ministry, is how can we begin a movement? So it's not just in my church or, or my ministry sphere, but how can I impact others and help them become disciple makers like Jesus too? So what we're going to do in, in this you know, hour that we have together is we're going to look at that build part. How can I build a disciple-making ministry like Jesus? And we saw that, that Jesus, in his ministry, his three and a half years, when he was in physical bodily form doing ministry on planet Earth, um, he, part of his ministry was building this ministry team. And it all started here in Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 14 to 17. I'm just going to read that for you. And I've, I've given everybody a handout. So uh, you, can, you can use this to follow along. You can fold it up and save it for later. You can follow along on the screen. Whatever makes it easiest for you. Well, I'm going to read that. It's, on your, um, it's not on your handout, but it's on the screen. Uh, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Now, if you look at Israel... You've got um, a body of water at the south. What's that body of water at the south called? It's, called, it's a sea. It's one of those seas. It's in the New Testament. 
the south. It's the Dead Sea. Dead Sea's at the south. Then there's a river. And what's that river called? Jordan River. And it comes from a, a sea at the, at the north. What's that sea called? Galilee. Okay, so Galilee's in the north. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Not into the sea, but into the region of Galilee in the north there. And he was proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, up until this point, somebody else had that message. Do you know whose message that was before Jesus started proclaiming that message? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus, probably his cousin. He was a relative. That was his message. Uh, But after John was put in prison, that became Jesus' message now. That hadn't been his message up until that point. So now Jesus starts preaching the good news. Repent and believe. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. And what did Jesus rename Simon as? Peter. So he renamed him as Peter. Jesus saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And then this is what Jesus said. And you've heard this before in John uh, or Mark 1, 17. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. And if we were to read the next couple verses, he repeated this to two other guys. Remember the names of those two other guys? James and John, those two brothers. So what Jesus was doing here is he's starting to assemble a team of guys to do ministry. He's putting together a ministry team. And if you were in here for, I think, Doug Holliday's section or Dan Spader's section, they mentioned that, that most of Jesus' disciples were probably teenagers. So this, Jesus is putting together a youth group ministry team at this point. I just want to point out three things that Jesus is saying that he's going to do here with this ministry team. So if we're wondering, you know, why do we do a ministry team? What do we do with these guys? First of all, he's saying that I will. Those two, those two words, he says, I'm going to do this. So in other words, this is a relational endeavor. When we put together a ministry team, it's not giving some students a book and say, hey, read this. This will help you to do ministry. Or here's a nice video series from Andy Stanley or somebody else for how to do ministry. This is a relational thing where he's involved. Uh, what was one of the names, what were some of the names that, that people called Jesus besides Jesus? What, friend? Rabbi? Messiah? Teacher? Master? One of those, somebody said, was Rabbi. Now, a rabbi, when they were making disciples, they spent time with them. It was a relational thing. Now, it wasn't a 24-7 thing, not until later on when Jesus had the 12, but a rabbi would spend a Saturday with his disciples at the synagogue, teaching at the synagogue. They might spend an evening or two during the week with their disciples. When they had to go to festivals, what different festivals did they have to go to? In, uh, in the first century. Jewish festivals. What is it? Tabernacles. That was in the fall. Passover. That was in April, Marshish. And, and there's one other one they had to go to. Not, the, not unleavened bread. It was called the Festival Feast of Weeks. The unleavened bread is a Passover festival. So that was in, so you had Passover, and that was, that was around our Easter time. And then the Feast of Weeks is seven weeks later, 49 days later. That's when we call Pentecost, because five, 50 days, Penta. And then in the fall was uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Every Jewish male was required to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate those festivals. So a rabbi would take 
from Galilee, how long did it take to get to, to Jerusalem for the tabernacle, for the feasts at that time? About a six-day walk. So this rabbi would spend those six days, because all these guys had to go down there, and then a week at the festival, then another six-day walk back home up to Galilee. So all that time, there's this relational aspect to this ministry team that's going on here. So Jesus said, I will do this. And he says, I'm going to make you. There's an intentionality about what Jesus was doing. It wasn't just haphazard stuff going on as they spent time together. There was a plan involved. I mentioned to my friend over here from Cincinnati uh, that coached basketball. And I've been coaching basketball for 20, more than 25 years. And when I'm making a basketball player, there's certain things that they have to know how to do. What are some things that, if you know about basketball, that, that people need to know how to do to play basketball? Dribble. You dribble the ball. So there's a right way to dribble. You don't dribble with the palm of your hand, with the fingers. And so we've got to practice dribbling to teach them the right way to dribble. What else they got to have? They've got to pass the ball. So when you pass, I teach them to step at the guy. And I teach them to step using both feet because in games you've got to do it with both feet. And when you're done, your fingers should be out. There should be a backspin to that ball, and you should snap it off. And where do you want the ball to land when it gets to the person? Chest. Hit him right in the chest. So we teach them how to do that. What else does a basketball player need to know how to do? They need to shoot the ball. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. I tell them, get that elbow in, bend those knees, eyes on the rim, Follow, I tell them, reach in that cookie jar when you're done. And uh, so we do that over and over and over again. All those are different things that I do intentionally to make a basketball player. Jesus said, you know, when I make you into uh, a fisher of men, there's an intentionality. There's a process involved in doing that. So first of all, he was relational. He was intentional. And then when he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he was missional. I'm going to teach you guys how to do ministry, how to fish for men. Do you remember when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but something is few? What is that? With the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What he's doing here is, I'm making workers. I'm developing you guys to work in that harvest field. This word, make you, did some studying in the Greek on that word. And that Greek word is poieo. Anybody take Greek and anybody remember what that means? Remember what poieo means? It means to make or to do. <coughs> and as you study it, it also means to prepare. And Jesus is telling these fishermen, I'm going to prepare you to fish for men, not to fish for fish. And as these fishermen are hearing him say this, they're thinking, okay, as we prepare to fish for fish, We've got these nets. And as we prepare our nets, there's a two-fold process to prepare them. The first process is after you pull them in, sometimes there's some snags and some rips and some tears. You've got to mend those nets. So you've got to repair those nets as you're preparing those nets. So after you mend them and fix them and, and, and uh, fix all the tears, you then fold them up and get them ready for the next day when you go out to fish. So Jesus is telling them a couple of things here. As I make you fishers of men, y'all have baggage. Y'all have rips and tears, just like the students do that we work with. And as he's preparing them to fish for men, preparing them to be workers in the harvest field, making them into these things, he's also repairing them too. This was a good thing for me to know because I'm, I'm one of those bulldozer type people where I'm driven and I want to get the job done. And sometimes i got to sit back and think, you know what? These, sometimes these are young people. 
these are 14, 15, 16 years old. They might have a, a, a backpack full of baggage like I did growing up in my town with my dad in those situations. And so as I'm preparing them, there's this, this nurturing, this loving, this repairing that's going on too as I'm preparing them. Does that make sense? So that's what he's telling them I'm going to do here as he's making this ministry team. Remember, we've got imperfect students that we're working with. In fact, they're working with an imperfect pastor too as we're helping to make them into a, a, a team of workers, a team of fishers of men. So that's why we do a ministry team, because Jesus did. He's our model for ministry. Well, let me ask the question, when did Jesus begin this ministry team? If you have the, your Bible or uh, your Bible on your, on your device with you, we're here in the book of Mark, chapter 1, and this is pretty much at the beginning here. How did, when did this take place? Mark chapter 1, verses 1, verses 14 to 17, in Jesus' ministry. But, yeah, we, we would say 18 months, but if you look at Mark, you're like, man, that's at the very beginning. Verse 14, in fact, if you look in Mark, John the Baptist prepares a way for him. Verse 9, Jesus is baptized and then tempted. And then we get to verse 14, and here's Jesus calling these guys. But this wasn't the first time he'd met these guys. And you might say, well, how do you know that? How do we know that? Look at that verse 14 again. It says, after John was put in prison. So after John was put in prison is when Jesus approached these guys. Let's look over at John chapter 3 for one second. John was baptizing at Anon near Salim. Anon near Salim is in the region of, of Samaria, fairly close to the Jordan River. He was baptizing there because there's plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. Verse 24, this was before John was put in prison. So everything in John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and then I believe also in chapter 4, all that stuff happened before Mark chapter 1, verse 14. See, Mark just doesn't include that. Mark wasn't wrong or anything, he just didn't include that. But what happens there is that John chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, that was about 18 months going by. So Jesus had already met Peter and Andrew. He had already renamed Simon Peter. He had already met James and John. He had already spent time developing a foundation of ministry with these guys. If you were in here yesterday for Doug Holliday's talk about the different foundations of Jesus' ministry, he had already introduced these guys to the Holy Spirit. He had already been teaching them the Word. He had already modeled for them and taught them how to pray, uh, how to exalt the Father. Uh, all these different things Jesus had already modeled for them, spent that time with them. And now he's up in the game with them and putting together a ministry team. So we talked about why do we do it. Jesus is our model. When do we do it? And I think it's really important that we follow the model of Jesus here too, is that when I start a youth ministry, I don't immediately jump into a ministry team. I've got to spend some time laying that foundation first. And then Jesus at this point had already modeled for them. Does anybody remember what John chapter 4 is all about? What takes place in John 4? Samaritan woman. So when Jesus was with the Samaritan woman, he was modeling for his disciples how to share the gospel with people. So they had seen him do it. So he'd laid a foundation, he'd modeled for them, and after he modeled for them is then is when he started his ministry team. 
So let's talk specifically now after the why and the when, how do we do it? What are some practical things that we can do? Um, and this is on your outline on your seat or you can follow on the screen. Before you begin, first of all, share the vision with your senior pastor if you're a youth pastor and share it with your elders if need be. Let them know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, why should we do this? Why should we let the senior pastor and the elders know that we're starting a ministry team? What? Yeah, that's a, did you hear what he said? He doesn't want, you, you don't want to be a silo. You want their support. We want everybody's involvement. Be a team player in this. Any other reasons why we would ask or we would share the vision with the senior pastor? To get their input. Get their input. Hey, man, because a lot of times our senior pastors are older than us, and they can offer wisdom. Say, hey, was you're starting this, have you considered this or this? Make sure you do this. Here's some pitfalls that you can avoid that I went into that your senior pastor could possibly give you. Any other reasons why? They might have kids in the youth ministry who aren't going to be on that ministry team. Bingo. Have you heard, do you guys hear that? They might have kids in that ministry, in your ministry, that aren't ready to be on that ministry team. And that could be a real danger if you get down the road and then they bring you into the office and ask you, hey, why isn't my kid on the ministry team? But if you explain it to them up front, what the criteria are and those things, it just it removes different possible landmines. If, 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 the, if the senior pastor's kids aren't going to be on that team, is it possible that other parents will have kids that aren't on that team? And what do those other parents typically do if their kid isn't on that team? Complain to who? The senior pastor. So you're just, just trying to t- cut the legs out from any of those things beforehand. Just trying to remove any landmines, make a smooth path for yourself. And I like to letting the elders know too. Just letting them know this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Sharing the vision. Well, let me ask you this question. When you share the vision with them, what exactly is the vision? What do you tell them? I would tell my senior pastor, listen, I'm not a very smart guy. Hopefully, I'm trying to make you look like a smart guy for hiring me. But I'm trying to do ministry like Jesus did. He's my model. And when I look at the life of Jesus, he put together a ministry team. And that's what we're going to try to do in our youth ministry, is put together a ministry team. We're trying to build a disciple-making ministry like Jesus, so we're going to put together a ministry team. And what we're doing with it is we want to help students become disciples by training them to do ministry. That's what we're trying to do, helping these students become disciples, just like Jesus made disciples. And we're going to really train them to do two things. We're going to train them how to do peer, we call it peer share, we're training them how to share the gospel. And I don't think any senior pastor is going to argue with that. We want to teach them how to share the gospel with their friends and lead other people to Christ. Second thing we're going to try to help them do is to do what we call peer care. Peer share and peer care. Do you see what we did with that? We think we're pretty clever with Ryman and everything. So we call it peer share and peer care. And we're trying to help them to minister to other students and serve in the church and minister to other people in the church. I don't think any senior pastor is going to disagree with that either. We're going to train people how to do ministry, how to do peer share and peer care. So we share that vision with the senior pastor, with the elders. Second thing is, 
Share that same vision with our adult youth workers. Let them know what we're doing and why we're doing it with the students. And I have in capitals, with the parents. When's a good time to share this with the parents? Through a text message, through an email, face to face. And I like to do, I'd like to have a parent night and share it with everybody all at once. So much is lost in translation with an email, with, certainly with a text, but so they can hear right up front from me, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And part of my purpose for that is I'm trying to disciple the parents to think through the life of Jesus and be, them being a disciple makers. I try to tell them, I'm trying to help you disciple your kids. And part of Jesus' methodology is putting together a ministry team, training them how to do ministry. And I'm, I'm believing, Mom and Dad, that you want your child to do ministry. And I'm also believing that you're trying to model for them how to do ministry, and you're trying to help your kids do ministry. We're going to do it in a formal way, in a specific way, in our youth ministry. Now, what, what other reasons besides I'm trying to disciple parents would I have for explaining it to parents, too? Yeah, it brings unity so everybody knows this is where the youth ministry is going, this is where they're going, this is why they're going there, and this is how they're planning to get there. So they know, because what's a lot of times youth pastors get a bad reputation, don't we? They think we drink Mountain Dew and, and eat pizza and just play dodgeball all the time. But when they say, man, this guy's got a clue, he's got a, a vision and a direction, and they would say, more so than I do, he's investing more in my own child than I am to make them into a disciple. They will, I mean, you want to talk about pastoral relations committee getting a good boost, and, and hopefully at salary time that means a good boost too. But it, it, it helps build credibility. But also in the future, when their child might not be on the team, they've heard from you, hey, this is what the team is. This is how you get on the team. And it cuts down those complaints and everything else. So I always try to make sure our parents know, and they hear it right from the horse's mouth, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what uh, the ministry team is. <coughs> and I like to do it at, the, at a parent meeting. And I tried to do a parent meeting every August right before the fall semester started. And I tried to do a parent meeting every January, right after Christmas. So twice a year they're here and, hey, this is not just about ministry team, but I give them our whole calendar. This is what we're doing these next four months. And you know what's going on, why we're doing what we're doing with that. So before you begin, let your, let your senior pastor know, let your parents know. And then number three, uh, next level is teach the whole youth group about it. And teach them about, I specifically like to just go, this is what Jesus' ministry was like. We're trying to build a ministry here like Jesus. And I told our students, listen, this is not my youth group. And guess what? It's not your youth group either. Whose youth group is it? It's God's. This is God's group. We got to do what he wants. And as we look at the Bible, this was the kind of youth group he had. So we're just trying to build a youth group like Jesus did. And Jesus had a ministry team. And when I explain that to them, I would also give them um, a calendar. This is when the ministry team meets. And I would give them an application. This is how you get on the ministry team. I'd say, everybody in this room is eligible to be on this ministry team. But in order to do it, everybody who wants to be on it has to fill out this application. And then we'll do a short interview with you just to make sure you know what's going on. And we just get to get a good feel for your heart. 
um, I've attached on your on your handout here. Is that yours? I'll take another one this side, yeah. The back side, the, the this is a sample ministry team application. This is one that, that I developed. I just you know refined it over the years where I had students fill out their name, all their contact information. If they knew areas they were gifted in, I wanted to know, you know, are you good at music? Are you good at drama? What are you, are you, do you have the spiritual gift of teaching? What, 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 are you, what are you gifted in so we can utilize those gifts so you can help you minister on that? Uh, I'd, I'd want their testimony. And then I'd ask them, and you can see question number two, how are they growing now? And I was pretty selective and detailed in the questions because I wanted to know, you know, were they ready? Jesus had spent a year and a half with his guys determining if they were ready. I want help from this application to help me know if they're ready. <coughs> and you can just read through some of the different questions there. But this also, remember, we opened it up to everybody. This helped weed it out to who really had the heart to minister, who really wanted to be a part of that team. We hoped that this would weed out any Judases from our ministry team. And you can see there that we described you know, our expectations uh, what your commitment level is going to be, what your responsibilities are. And then I, I had them sign it, and I had their parents sign it too. So their parents knew, hey, these are when our meetings are. Because I, I, I was tired of all that, hey, you know, we didn't know about the meeting. You know, we scheduled going to, you know, a cheerleading competition instead. I'm like, well, listen, I gave you the, I gave you the calendar. You signed that you, that you read it and that you'd agree. Now, now, we would allow you to miss a meeting if there was a death in the family or some emergency or sickness or things. But we said, you got to be, you can miss one meeting a semester because we need you there. We need you to be a part of that team. We're, we're less than what we could be without you. So we had those different guidelines on there. So that's, that's just a sample of a ministry team application I put together that um, can hopefully be, be, uh, be helpful to you. So I'd give them a calendar of when we were going to meet, give them um, the application, and when I, I would teach on it. Now, if you were to teach the whole youth group about a ministry team, what would you teach them? What, would you, what, what passage would you teach them on? Jesus yeah, I would just go back to that Mark chapter 1 and teach them and uh, just explain how Jesus was putting together a ministry team. He'd been in ministry with them for you know, a year and a half up to this point. Say, they were ready. These disciples were ready to do ministry. And I would tell the students, some of you are ready to do that. Some of you are ready to do ministry. Hopefully all of you are, but I know some of you are. And this is what we're going to do and explain the ministry team. I'd give everybody an application, everybody the calendar, and say, you're welcome to apply. But then um, what I would do, I'll, let me, I'll get to, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll do that in a second. Important thing I think is important to remember, number four is to call it a ministry team and not a student leadership team. Now, has anybody, I, I had, I'm guilty. I called one of my first ministry teams a student leadership team. Anybody else do that as well? well I think that's pretty popular, call it a student leadership team. Why would I say call it a ministry team instead of a student leadership team? Any, can you think of any reasons why? Leadership kind of gives title. <coughs> Excuse me, yeah. Leadership connotates something different to different people. A lot of people think, if I'm a leader, I've got power. I tell other people what to do. I make all the decisions. Yeah, any other reasons? Just as a, a 
sets expectations. We're clearly defining what we want this team to be. It's about ministry. Yeah. Yeah, you, when you're talking about your... See, I called my adults my adult ministry team. So I was specifying for them, this is what we're here to do. We're not here to tell other people what to do and make all the decisions. Because whose ministry is it? It's God's ministry. He makes the decisions. We ask Him what He wants us to do. And my adults, I'm like, you guys are, are, are ministers as well. We want you ministering to these students. Now, there were some leaders, a couple leaders maybe... That I would, that I adults, that I would elevate to leaders because they would have oversight of a segment of the ministry. But I call our adults an adult ministry team, and then our student ministry team. And a little bit later, I'm going to talk about how we eventually combined them. Now there wasn't the same level of authority or responsibility, but it allowed us to have our adults have more discipling and accountability oversight of the students on that ministry team. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, a little bit later. But I just think it's real important to call it a ministry team. It does set that expectation. It takes away any confusion about what we think leaders are or giving power to people that, that really don't have it. Um, so we called it um, an adult, or I'm sorry, a student ministry team, an adult ministry team. Number five, this is what I would do. I, would, I spoke to the whole group and presented the whole group and offered this opportunity to the whole group. But then I would specifically go to people like Jesus did with Andrew and Simon and with James and John and specifically invite them. Now, I wouldn't do it in front of the whole group. Hey, we're starting this ministry team and, and Josiah and Jordan and Jessica and Karina, I think you guys should really be on it. The rest of you guys can apply. You can, you can you know, give us, throw your hat in the ring, but, but you guys should be on it. No, I would take them aside privately and just say, hey, Josiah, yes, ministry team, I think you're ready for this. I've seen you grow. I've seen you, you know, really reaching out to other people. When we do outreach events, I see you bringing your friends, and I think, I think you're ready for this. Why do we do that alongside them, come alongside that way? Man, it's a great opportunity to encourage a student and to help. Remember, we're trying to help these guys become disciples who make disciples, and that's just a a nudge along to help them become that disciple and disciple maker, encourage them in their life. So I would go, you know, to privately to students that I think should be on the team and encourage them to, to join it. Number six, before you start the team, before you let someone on the team is to interview every applicant. I'd always have like a two-week deadline. We, we hand them out to anybody who wants them. They're due within two weeks, and then we spend one evening interviewing. Anywhere five to 10 to 15-minute interviews is what we would do. And what, uh, during the interview, I would just ask them a few questions based on their application. I'd look it over ahead of time. And I would have one of my adults in there with me, so it wasn't just me with the student, but there was, usually I'd have one of the gals, one of our adult ladies in there, so we would interview the the guys and the gals together with two adults in there. And we just asked different questions. So if they shared on their their application about um, their quiet time, you know, and how they've been having a regular quiet time, God's been growing them, I might ask them, hey, I'm really proud of you. 
that you've been having your regular quiet time and we need time in God's Word to grow, tell me where have you been reading at and what, what's something specific that the Lord's been challenging you with in your life? Or I might ask them a question. You said on here you've got three friends. You've got Steve, you've got uh, Albert, and you've got Kyle that you've been praying for to come to Christ. Tell me, you know, what's one specific thing that you may have been doing with one of these guys over the last couple weeks to, to help you know, draw them to Christ? So just asking some questions during that interview time. Um, now some people, when they pass it, when they give you their, um, their application, it's a slam dunk. You know what's going on in their life, or they've been on the team before, and they're, they're, they're ready for that. There are some people, when you do the interview, that you get their application, you're like, you know what? I don't think they're ready for the team yet. And that's where when you read their application, you do the interview, you might say, hey, um, uh, I'm Tim. It says here that you read your Bible maybe once a week. And um, to be on the ministry team, we really need you to have a regular, consistent, quiet time. Now, if you miss one day a week, we're not sticklers for that. We're not Pharisees or anything. But you know, to be on the ministry team, that's got to be a foundation in your life. So, you know, I just want to tell you, I think you'll be great for the ministry team, but I don't think you're ready yet. And here's what we're going to do to help you. Um, how about, you know, this is, this is September, beginning of the year. What we did is we had two on-ramps. We had September and then we had January. And so I would say, September, say, how about after youth group every Wednesday night, you and I, let's spend five, ten minutes together. And you can share with me about how you've been reading and what you've been reading in the Word. And tell you what, I'll be accountable too. I'll share with you what I've been reading in the words. And we'll just help each other that way. And if, if I see that you're developing this consistent, quiet time and dependency on the Lord and His Word, you can apply again in January. And if things are looking better... You know, I'm not promising you, but I think I think you'll be you'll be closer to being ready for that team. And so it's not like you know, sorry, you lose, you can't be on the team. I use that opportunity to encourage them, and I might share, hey, you know what? I've seen you growing. I'm so super proud of you for applying for this team. I think you're almost there. You're almost ready for it. So I'm, I'm helping to encourage and nurture them. But it's really important that we protect the integrity of that team. Um, People who get on that team have to be proven already. It can't be a project. It's got to be somebody um, who's proven with that. And that's all before we begin. Any questions so far on ministry team getting ready for it before we get going with it? I have a question on that last one. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what would you recommend on, like, a, I, don't wanna, I wouldn't call it a term per se, but like, would, do you, would, did you have everyone reapply? every year or every you know if you make it on the ministry team every two years you know excellent question you said that, do you have everybody reapply every year for that ministry team i said we had an on-ramp in september and an on-ramp in january if you applied in september you didn't have to reapply in january but what i would have people reapply every year just so that everybody had to do it you didn't get grandfathered in because if you look at that application things get updated Lost friends change. Um, your currency in your quiet time, what you've been reading, what the Lord's been teaching you, that changes. So it was. I see this application not only as a as a um, as a weeding out process, but I saw that as a discipling tool. 
I was helping, that was helping me disciple these students because they were thinking about, well, these are the things that, you know, that a worker in the harvest field does. This is the things that a discipler does and, and, and the character that he has and the priorities that he has. So I would have them, yeah, reapply all the time. Sorry, another question. Based, no, go ahead. Based on that, so if you have them reapply every year, are you doing an interview for every student? Because I know you mentioned you can look at interviewing everyone every year or? Excellent question. Again, he's asked, first of all, do you apply every year? And now do you do a follow-up interview every year? And I did. Because remember, I will make you fishers of men. It's relational. And any opportunity I had to, to, to speak truth and encouragement into them. And I could also, if they had applied the year before and were on the team, second year, I could ask them questions about, hey, how do you feel like last year went? What do you think? They said, you, you were on it last year. What are some goals you might have for this year? How do you think you can help other students on that team this year? So, yeah, I, any opportunity you can to have that one-on-one -on -one time, it's, it's just that's an excuse to help disciple them. Good question. Yes, sir. Uh, when you see something in them, how have you discerned? Excellent question. So he's asking about how do you discern you know, the whole provenness thing? Um, what if they're not proven as a leader yet? Or, and I would say it's a ministry team, not a leadership team. So no, they're not proven in ministry yet. But when you look at the life of Jesus, what were they proven in? They were proven in faithfulness, spending time around Jesus. They were proven in teachability, where they were listening to Jesus. They were proven in availability, because he said, you know, come follow me. So they had to spend that time with him. So the provenness things are some of those heart qualities of, um, you know, am I spending time in the Word? That's what I mean by provenness. Am I, you know, having a faithful time in the Word? Are my eyes already outward looking at you know, lost people wanting to do that. So, um, it's as a pastor, as a youth pastor, remember whose whose ministry team is it? So, Lord's. And so we're asking him. So a lot of this is okay, Lord. Here's a guy. He he could be on the fence here. Do you want us to take a shot on him? He might not be ready yet. But do you? But will the, the like? And if, if we've had a ministry team going for a couple years already, and we've got a pretty strong culture there, say, man. I think that culture would be really good for him to get him in there. If it was I'm just starting off a ministry team, never had one before, I wouldn't take the risk on him yet. But if I had already established a, pro, a, a culture of, of healthiness in that ministry team, I might take a chance on him like that. But a lot of it, asking the Holy Spirit, and you know the student better, and, and um, just can, can read that situation. Hopefully, is that helpful? Yes, guys, it's something I also, like I was not super faithful, but I, yeah. What I would do is I would see that I would do that project one on one. Yeah. I would rather than bringing them onto a team and 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 risk causing unhealth on that team. Yeah. I would. The provability piece. Yeah. Good question. Excellent question. Any other questions? That yes, sir. Um, how is your in this whole process there there comes rejection as part of it? You know, and not rejection as a context of it all. You say that again. I'm, let me. I'm trying to. How they handled the the telling. How have students handled the, yeah, they, when they've been told no? I've had to say no to a couple different students. And here's <coughs> my process is after I told the student, I called their parents and told them so that they heard it firsthand from me, didn't get secondhand information. So, hey, just want to let you know that, that I love Tim and love spending time with him. He applied to be on the ministry team. I'm really proud of him for doing that. And, and you know you signed the thing. But I just want to tell you, this is what I see. And I don't know if you're seeing the same things. But this is what I'm seeing, and so this is what I've decided. Rather than putting him on the team right now, 
that I'm gonna spend some time one-on-one -on -one with him every week. I'm offering that to him if he wants that, to help him in this area. And if I say is because of the quiet time, he wasn't having a regular quiet time. And I think you'll agree that that's pretty important, I would tell the parent. I said, so this is what I'm gonna do with him. And I said, let's, how about if we work on this together? Is that you can ask them, you can ask Tim, yeah, how's your quiet time going? What's the Lord teaching you? So you're helping disciple him, I'm helping disciple him. And then I really think, you know, in January, he could be ready for this. So I, I tell the parents, tell this, and I just try to, just making it, you know, affirmation that way by offering that personal time, I, that, that has helped. And you got to be careful that doesn't become a positive reinforcement because, oh man, I get to spend personal time with Pastor Joel if, if, I, if I fail on, so I'm going to lie on my application so I get that one-on-one -on -one time. You got to be careful of that. Yeah, he said that, if you didn't hear that, that this generation really wants to own what they're doing and work towards owning what they're doing, and that helps, them, that helps motivate them. But it's also, you know, we want to be, the, 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 the whole um, heart of that question is, we don't want to crush their spirit. We want to keep moving them forward. So the way that we do it, and I love, uh, it's in John 12, where Jesus not only said what the Father told him to say, but how the Father told him to say it. So how we say it, and what we say to them, it just means, makes, makes a huge difference. And it's only been, usually the, the application will weed out people. Because there's, I mean, if you look at it, the application I gave you, it really details things. And that weeds people out. Um, but if, uh, there's probably been, I can think of two or three that I had to say no to, but did it in that way. And it all, it worked out well. But there's also been one for sure that I let on the team and regret it. There's several that I've let on the team and shunt of, but there's one that I let on the team and, and regret it. And, um, and that was all. And I did the application, did the interview. Well, here's what happened. It was a younger guy, 14 years old, and he was a homeschool boy and was asking him questions about evangelism. I'm like, well, tell me, as a homeschool student, you don't have, and you live in the country, how do you share the gospel with your friends? You said on here that you do. He said, well, you know, my mom takes me to the mall, and I do, like, street evangelism at the mall. And just, you know, I was, like, about 27 years old as a youth pastor. I'm like, you do? Wow, that's incredible. I can't believe you do that. But you know how you've got this Holy Spirit detector, like, spidey senses going off, thinking, this is bunk. He, he's... And what I should have done, I let him on the ministry team and shunt up. He was too immature, was dishonest. And I, I should have said, hey, that's incredible, because... I get scared sharing the gospel with people at the mall. How about I pick you up next Tuesday and we'll go to the mall and you can show me how you do it. I'd love to see you, at, you, know, see you in action there. And he'd been like, uh, uh, um, maybe I don't do that. I should have, and this is where, did the application, did the interview, but I didn't do the interview well and let him on and regretted it. But going back to your question, the heart of it is we want to use this as a discipling opportunity, not something that's going to crush somebody, but something that's going to catapult them. And move them forward, while at the same time protecting the integrity of that ministry team. Any other questions about before we begin? Yes, sir. How did you arrive at the approach of making it available to everyone and then weeding it out, as opposed to just in approaching the ones like you say that you do? Excellent. Yeah, a lot of times because like um, some youth pastors say, "Hey, I want you to be on my leadership team, student leadership team." Yeah. This way, it, it takes away parents or pastors or elders accusing you of playing favorites. And also it takes away, if I have, you know, man, my senior pastor's son or daughter is not ready for this, 
but I feel like I have to ask them to be on it because their dad expects them to be on it and it's just going to make it an awkward dynamic. It's just like, I'm going to open up to everybody and let the application filter and I'm going to go to those people specifically and ask them. But it just, and it takes away people accusing you of playing favorites. And I've had, even, I've done parent meetings, a, a, a deacon accused me of playing favorites because his daughter wasn't on it. I'm like, come on, man, you know. You know me. You, he's like, well, it seems like you got an A team and a B team. I'm like, well, I kind of do, only to the extent that I think Jesus did, where he spent more time with some people, but it's offered to everybody. But that, that's why I do that, just to take away any accusations of playing favorites and take away any motives on my part that, oh, i got to appease the senior pastor or the elders to have their kids on it, even though they're not ready for it. So have you tried the approach where you just invite people to it and found that it was blown up in your face? Or? No, I didn't try that approach. When I, in 1989, after Bible college, I went to a Sun Life seminar and first learned about ministry teams. And um, this was a stupid tax that other people paid that I got to learn from. I mean, I paid my own plenty of stupid taxes where I've learned from my own mistakes. But on this one, I learned from the mistakes of others. I made a few on my own there, but that's where I learned it from. Uh, Sunlight's been trained in this for about 40 years about that. Good question. Any other questions about um, beginning the team? Sorry, yeah. No, go ahead. What, what would you recommend as a good strategy? Good, good question here. He said, what would be a good ratio for any youth group? And if you look at Jesus, he had 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10. He had 12 apostles. That's a 5 to 1 ratio or 20%. Um, I was always praying for, my faith goal was uh, 25% of our entire youth group be on the ministry team. And, you know, it'd be great if all the students were doing, you know, peer care and peer share. But I was, that was my, if we had 40 students in our youth group, I was praying for the Lord to give us 10. But I never had that quota where, okay, I've got to get 10, or I've got to limit it to 10. It's like, who's ready? Who's got that heart? And hopefully we're developing that kind of heart. But I was always praying for, you know, I was always praying for, uh, a 10% conversion rate every year that if our youth group's 10, is 40 people, Lord, give us four new believers this year. Pray we'd reach four lost people. They're the, and, and those and, are the ones that you've got to come up alongside. And I had a, yeah. friend, a guy, a youth pastor from Texas, was telling me a couple weeks ago, or no, a couple months ago when we were talking about ministry team, he said he had a girl come up to him and said, yeah, I, I can't wait, I want to be on the ministry team. He's like, well, why do you want to be on the ministry team? Because I want to tell other people what to do. Nobody ever listens to me. Yeah. And then, okay, here, fill out an application. We'll see you know, how the interview goes. But that's where we just try to whittle that down. Any other questions about the before you begin? Be on your ministry team. Excellent question. So we had, Doug asked, what are our commitment for this, and what about students who are involved in athletics or band or other things and we're going to address a little bit of that in, in a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question about that, is we would ask them to, to sign up for a year. Okay, You're signing up, making a one-year commitment, and here's the calendar dates for this one year. And then after that year, you know, you, and if, you, if something happens and you need to step off in the middle of the year, we'll address it, but we'll try to work with people. Now, if we had students who were, you know, part of the ministry team, they filled out the application, interviewed, they're doing ministry in our youth group. Well, they get to, to December, it's like, man, I've got basketball games on youth group night. And part of our responsibility is to serve and minister at youth group. What do we do? And we say, well, you're plumb out of luck, Skippy. You're off the team. You can try again next year. No, we didn't do that. We said, hey, we're going to, we're, how about you be our missionary 
to the to the basketball team and we always set our ministry team meetings on Sunday that was just we did them after church on Sunday so parents had to drive only one extra time so they bring them to church on Sunday didn't have to come back and get them later and so that didn't interfere with any sports stuff or any band stuff or those things we so the ministry team meeting they wouldn't miss but they couldn't be there at youth group or come to the outreach. Okay, you're our missionary to the basketball team. And when we meet on Sundays every other week, you report to us how it's going. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to commission you and send you to the basketball team or to the band or whatever group you're involved in. So we, did, we tried to find ways to, to make it work. And help. we wanted to help them be disciple makers. We weren't trying to, you know, we didn't elevate, you've got to be perfect on this team. This team was an avenue to help you become a disciple maker. We didn't put this team together to help us do ministry in the group. We, we, helped, we put this team there to help them do ministry and become a disciple maker. Excellent question, Doug. Hope that answered. Well, let's, let's jump. We've got about 20 minutes left. I want to give some more time for questions. Let's specifically talk about what do you do when you meet? And what we tried to do was we said, you know, if we met once a month, that wasn't enough. Because we, we lived up in, in uh, northwest Pennsylvania in the snow belt. We got more snow than Buffalo, New York did, where we used to live. And in, in northeast Ohio, the same thing. We get a lot of So we might get snowed out on a Sunday. So we said, if we, if we get snowed out, that's two whole months before we get to meet. So we said we got to meet every other week. We would have our, our meetings every other week. And uh, we, what we would do is we'd make a calendar and give it to everybody from... September to December, then another one from January to, to April. And there's, there's a couple calendars that you need to check before you make up your calendar. What are those calendars you need to check? Church calendar, because you don't want to double book with the church. And what other calendar? Family calendars. And you don't have everybody's family calendars, but as best as you can get. But the school calendar, because you don't want to double book things with the school calendar. I uh, made a mistake once. We, uh, we, we scheduled a big outreach event for the night of homecoming, from the homecoming football game and the homecoming dance. That was a, that was a dumb move. <coughs> and then if you like football, check the NFL calendar. Make sure the Cowboys aren't playing, you know, right after lunch on your ministry team day. And so we tried to figure out what day works best. Sunday seemed to work. Some people, if they had their youth group on Wednesday night, they'll meet an hour before youth group. But I just, I liked doing it Sundays. Everybody could bring a lunch. And then maybe once a month, I'd treat them to pizza. And we'd have our meeting right after church on a Sunday. When we, we would meet for an hour and a half to two hours. And these, this is how we would break it down. We'd pray for 15 minutes. And we just, we wanted to spend the first part of our time in prayer and a good part of our time in prayer because we didn't want God to just be involved. We wanted him to be in charge. And we wanted it to be his ministry. What are some different things you would pray for when your ministry team gets together? Pray for each other. What's going on that we can pray for? What else? Pray for the events that come up. Because as a team, you're planning outreach events. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're planning outreach events and other things. We've got to pray for those. And we also not just pray for these events that we planned on. We've got to pray, God, what events do you want us to do in your youth group to reach, reach these students? Uh, we pray for the other students in the youth group. What's going on? We pray for um, adult leaders. Uh, pray for lost friends. If we're training them how to reach their lost friends, we pray for those lost friends. So we spend 15 minutes in prayer. We'd spend 15 minutes evaluating, saying, what, what are some things you would evaluate? 
okay, how's our youth group going? How were the last couple Wednesday nights we met? And we say, what was the atmosphere like? Because we always wanted to have an atmosphere of joy and love. How was our atmosphere? Is there anything we need to do to improve that? We would also try to evaluate, you know, if we had a, our, our hospitality, that was important to us. When new people came, did they get greeted? And we tried to teach our, our ministry team kids, don't just leave your group and go meet the new student and hang out with them. Go get that student and bring them to your group to help them feel like they belong. So it's not just you doing all the heavy lifting. You're teaching your friends how to be a ministry team person as well, how to show hospitality as well. So we'd evaluate, did we reach out to, to, to new people? I'd let them evaluate, all right, how was my Bible teaching the last couple weeks? Be honest with me. Was it connecting? Was I asking good questions? Did we, <coughs> you know, was, was, was the topic relevant? So I'd get, let them have, you know, ownership of that, evaluating. Then we'd spend 15 minutes, we, we incorporated accountability. And what we would do is we'd break into groups. I'd have them, same groups of three, every time we meet. <coughs> Accountability about quiet time. We just we really felt the importance of dependency on the Word. How are you doing in the Word? Are you sharing the gospel with your lost friends? You've got your three friends. You know, how are you doing reaching out to them? Are you inviting them to outreach events? And then also accountability on purity. That's such a huge thing for both guys and girls. We tried to build that into that atmosphere. Yes, sir. And this is- When I started the ministry team, didn't have adult, adult, adult meeting with them yet. But after about a year, I combined them so that our adults and students were meeting together and an adult was then leading that. And so they were then discipling those three. They were making, becoming disciple makers. And if you're familiar with the chairs, they were moving to chair four by helping these students move to chair three. So they would lead it. So you say one adult, one student. Yes, that's how I'd break it down. And then with that group also, I would have... Um, in, our, in our youth ministry, we had small groups, and I'd have some of those accountability students co-leading or helping that adult with lead a small group. <coughs> so they were being discipled that way too. But I, I liked having adults with them yeah. with that accountability time. Um, then I'd do some leadership slash <coughs> excuse me, ministry training for 15 minutes. I used to like to open the Word. Maybe we'd look at Joshua, and I could do about seven weeks on Joshua, on leadership, looking at him. Or looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, when it talks about elders and what elders need to do. I mean, I could teach that to students. Or we would spend <coughs> a whole retreat looking at the Old Testament kings and the heart issues and motives of the kings. And so I would spend time, and I wanted to, we are, I want to give us plenty of time here, because I wanted to make a list of all the different uh, things we could teach about. What, let's just shout some things out. What are some leadership things or ministry things you could teach students on your ministry team? Things that they need to learn how to do to do ministry to other people. Loving your enemies. They got to learn how to love their enemies and love other people. Very good. Active listening. Okay, be a good listener. Be a good listener to somebody. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is huge. Two fronts there. I need to learn how to ask God to, for forgiveness, ask people for forgiveness, and then extend forgiveness to other people as well. That's excellent. <coughs> In re- conjunction with that, teaching them how to repent. 
I loved what was said on the stage the other day about, you know, a lot of times we keep a facade up, by, by, and we teach them how to do it, not just by opening the Word, but by modeling also. You know, just because they're going to fall down all their lives. We're not teaching them to be perfect. We're trying to help them to be holy, but we're teaching them how to repent and get back up. Other things. Self-control, Self-control is a good one. Evangelism. How to take care of themselves. How to be healthy and take care of the temple. That's a good one. I didn't have that one written down, but I like that one. Basic theology? Or just... I mean... We know God better, and we have, I was reading in First Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, that we have abundant grace and abundant peace through the knowledge of Him. So through good theology, we get abundant grace and peace, teaching that to students. I, I ta- I, in addition to these things, time management. I'd give them all a calendar at the beginning of the year, teaching them how to, to, be, to manage their time. How to pray like Jesus, looking at the different times and places Jesus prayed, trained him how to be to hospitality, um, how to resist temptation, part of the self-control, how to worship. You know, worship was a big deal to me because I didn't want it to be some phony just raising my hands, closing my eyes thing. I wanted it to be biblical worship that's acceptable to God. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about worship that's acceptable to him. Uh, so it's just a lot of different things. How to speak. I had written down how to ask good questions and how to be a good listener. Um, and w- just a, a general rule, ask yourself as a youth pastor, what did I have to learn in order to do what I do? And then teach that to them. So just make a list of all the things that you know how to do and had to learn how to do and teach it to them. So we would do leadership ministry training and then planning for 30 to 60 minutes. I would give them opportunity to plan out the next outreach event. And I'm talking a little bit about how we broke our groups into teams and they each had to teach youth group once every semester as part of a team. So a group of three or four of them would do that together. And it was during <coughs> this 30 to 60 minutes time, that's when I would meet privately with the adult ministry team. So the students were doing their planning and things and that's when I had our adult time where we could talk about the student ministry team or, or any, deal with any things like that that as adults we needed to do. So that's how our meetings go. Whoa. So number three, you could have teams within the team. So what we did was, based on their gifting, we could have a a worship team with people who were gifted in that or a hospitality team. Now, everybody was required to be hospitable and welcoming, but I had a team of people who were just, you know, just high-eye, bubbly people. They'd be at the door. You know, I had kids sign in. They'd help sign in. If we had did name tags, they'd give name tags. They're just welcoming people as they come in. If some people were good at leading activities, I'd have them lead activities. Uh, some students like to teach more. I'd give them an opportunity to help me teach. And then I had a work team. <clears throat> and that's where we, if we had 10 kids on our ministry team, divide them into three groups, a team of three, team of three, team of four. And in the month of November, we would say, okay, team A, you're doing November 7th, Team B, November 14th, Team C, November 21st. You're leading the whole meeting. This is what we have to do at the meeting. You've got to have some type of in-reach, Acts chapter 2, some type of fellowship, group-building event activity during that time. There's got to be some type of upreach where we're worshiping or praying or both to the Father, where we're elevating and honoring the Father, upreach. There's got to be some type of downreach where God speaks to us through His Word. There's got to be some Bible instruction at it, and there can also be some type of outreach. So we wanted in-reach, 
upreach, downreach, outreach going on <coughs> where we're welcoming other people. Other than that, why don't you pray and ask God what he wants you to teach his youth group that night. And then you guys as a team, you can do it. <coughs> so that's what we do. We put together a work team within the ministry team. But then we had everybody doing these specific things. We had everybody um, sharing their, their faith story. We teach them how to sh- And then at youth group or at, at outreach events, everybody shared at least once a semester. We teach them how to share the gospel, teach them hospitality, how to serve. They weren't the leaders telling everybody else what to do. They were the servants picking up, cleaning up, all those different things, and helping to lead youth groups. And then this is what we did. We did a retreat once or twice a year. I'd do a retreat in August, retreat in January. We, we would get away, <clears throat> have extended time in prayer. We'd pray for every adult worker, every student in the youth group. <clears throat> Excuse me, we get prayed for. We'd pray for protection because the enemy is against us making disciples who make other disciples. We would do a recreation time where we'd play together at the retreat. We'd eat together. There's just something happens when you eat together and share meals. And we would go through the entire youth group and identify what chair. And I don't have time to go over our chairs. Dan wrote a book called The Four Chairs. We do seminars and trainings on the four chairs. Everybody is in one chair. And we'd identify what chair is every student in. And then what do we have to do to help them move forward? Then we have an action plan. Okay, if we've got these four students who are in chair one, they're spiritually lost. Okay, who's going to share the gospel with them in the next week or two? And we come away with a plan so our students were, were actively doing that ministry by identifying. We plan out the next four to six months. And I didn't make the calendar. We would say, okay, this is God's youth group. What does he want us to do? And we'd also plan out what, what, what is our theme for this year? Is there something that the Lord says needs to come to the front that we need to work on this year? We'd, we'd plan that out. We'd have accountability time on the retreat. And we'd do some type of group building activity on that retreat. Yeah, we, he asked that we have our adults and the students both at this retreat, and we did. And, they were, and we would work together on this. So our adults were still the, the assistant coaches on the team versus the players on the team, but they were both, everybody would give input. And a lot of times we would ask, okay, this semester, do we need to focus on Holy Spirit? Or do we need to focus on, uh, on prayer? Or do we need to spoke, focus on intentional, loving relationships? A lot of times we'd go back over our foundations and say, where are we at, and what is the Lord saying we need to focus on this semester? So we'd, we'd all try to discern and pray and listen to the Lord together and talk through those things. Yeah, good question. And I'm just going to, there's some more stuff on your outline. I'm not going to go over it. Any questions, because I want to get us out on time. And we've got five minutes, so I'll answer any questions. Yes, sir. Some of the times, like sometimes, most of the time, students would have somebody playing guitar, helping us to try to worship the Father during that time. And, then, and they might break it up. So if there's three people leading that, one person might lead the worship time, but they could also get somebody who's not on the ministry team. If they, like, man, I got no musical abilities, they get somebody who is because they can help them play guitar and, and lead worship at that time. And one boy, he just, he loved it when we would do an affirmation circle. So he taught for about... Uh, about 10 minutes about encouragement and building other people up. Then he had the whole group get into a circle with their chairs. And for an hour, we just took one person at a time. And we'd say, you know, Jared, 
this is what I appreciate about you. And you'd affirm them. And they would say, okay, five people affirm Jared. Then the next person, the next chair, you know, was Jacob. Now five people. And so we spent an hour just doing a, uh, an activity like that. Uh, one time, this one gal, they got really creative. She did all her teaching on video, and they played it, and we watched a video of her teaching, and she had some different props on there. It was really pretty clever. One guy and these guys, they made a 10-minute, uh, maybe it wasn't quite 10 minutes. <coughs> it's on YouTube. Remember that song, Sale, that was out about six, seven years ago? And they had this, it was really cool, where they acted out um, Cain and Abel, and they videoed that out in this field somewhere, and, and somebody was dressed up like in a cow cot. It was really pretty, and they, they videoed that and did it. So they just got real creative with teaching the Word, um, using other people to help us worship, and they, or they would do an activity. And, and what we would do is they could sound, you, our adults would be a sounding board for anything like that. But yeah, we'd, and part of our ministry team, we'd teach them how to, to read the Word, understand it, and teach it. We, that was part of our instruction for them. Because we were trying to not just have them help us do ministry to students. We wanted them to be disciple makers for life. Because all those things they could then do you know, throughout their lives in college, in church, wherever they went. And a lot of my former ministry team, they're elders, deacons, worship leaders, pastors, youth pastors. And a lot of the things that they, their foundations were in that ministry team. Good question. Good question. That's a tough question. He said, what, do you hap- what happens... If you have, like, life just comes at people fast and furious, hard and heavy, and you've got some students who just seem to be flaking out a little bit, and then all the burden falls on just a couple. And I I think back to sports. This is how I would think I would handle it. After praying, I think this is what I'd handle is uh, just when when a team is going through a bad section like the Cavs are right now, like about a week ago, they had a team meeting. You just get a team meeting. Everybody airs it. So I'd get everybody together. Hey, it seems like... And I would say, you know, I'm not just, I'm not going to come at him and say, accuse him saying, you're distracted. I'm going to say, it seems like, you know, life's really busy for you right now. What's going on? So let's share with everybody because we're a team here, ministry team. But more than that, we're a family, family of God. And how do, what's going on so that we can pray for you and lift you up? And also some of you guys, you guys are carrying extra lot. I just want to say thanks for all that you're doing because you're carrying extra heavy load right now. But what can we do? Is there anything we can do to fix this? And let's just say, you know, how long do you think this season's going to last where your life is is in disarray right now? And so we can see some light at the end of the tunnel and just have that team meeting to try to, let's identify what's really going on and let's say, okay, what can we do to, to move forward with that? And it might be, I love, Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon, and then that's up on the, the Mediterranean Sea, and that's when the Canaanite woman came to him and said, you know, even the, the dogs get the scraps from the table. What were they doing there? I think they were on vacation. Why else do you go to the beach? They were, they were getting away. They're getting out of Israel and Galilee, you're trying to be under the radar with nobody. And so it might be, you know, we, let's just let's take a, a deep breath. And it might be, maybe we're trying to do too much in ministry right now. Maybe we as a ministry need to just take a little bit of a breath. And just coast a little bit. Not just coast by, in a bad way, but just take a breath. Are we doing too much? Yes, sir. Uh, with some of the training and stuff, it sounds like you had like sunlight where you come and help train some of your leaders and students. Is that a, a yearly process for you? When you do, do some of the training, do you invite then your, minute, your two ministry teams together to do the sunlight training when we, together? He's asking, when we do sun life training, do, or, do you bring ministry team students to that training? Is that what you're asking? And, is it, and do you do it yearly? And did you literally, as a, as a youth pastor, I would always train my students. I would do it at least twice a year at the beginning of each semester, just reminding them 
you know, what's our mission, what are we doing? And we talk about the chairs all the time and try to have ministry for people in each of those chairs. So we just always reinforce this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I would take my adult ministry team and my student ministry team to different trainings that Sun Life would do. Sun Life would do a one-day strategy seminar. We still do that and help, you know, just help our students, the life of Jesus, because we want to be, you know, be like Jesus, a disciple maker like him, build a ministry like Jesus, a disciple making ministry. So I'd always, you know, um, expose them to any Sun Life training. And I would encourage, I don't see we've got our, our uh, disciple making conference Sun Life does. In, in January, and so a lot of like-minded disciple makers get together at this conference. Hey, and if you live up north like Calvin and I do, Canada and Cleveland, it's great to get to Orlando in January. And we, we do that on purpose, so we, you know, and we're around other like-minded disciple makers getting training in the life of Christ. Another thing that we just started doing this year is a coaching clinic. And we'll announce those at the D conference in January, where we get together with several, like about 10 to 15 youth pastors for three days, and we just go over ministry team things, uh, regular youth group things. How can we realign our ministries after the model of Jesus and implement his methodology in it? So we, just, we do that ongoing training, and I exposed our adult workers and student ministry team to that. Does that answer your question? Okay. Hey, let me, let me just pray blessing on you guys. Lord, bless these, these guys and these gals. Father, we're, in a lot of ways, we're just a bunch of bumpkins. We're learning from our own mistakes. We're learning from mistakes of good mentors you brought us. But we just keep looking to Jesus. Help us to, to, to be a disciple maker like him, build a ministry like him. And if you would, Lord, please use us to begin that movement and, and really add on to the movement, Jesus, that you started. Um, pray for the students that, that get into the ministry teams of the leaders in this room, that they would really grow them, catapult them forward, and prepare them for a lifetime of, of walking as Jesus did and making disciples as he did. Uh, Lord, help us, protect us, and lead us, we pray, through Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks. You, and I'll be around if you have any questions. Or um, I got a business card at our table downstairs if you need to contact or ask any further questions like that. Be glad to... You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. That message was from the Sun Life track called Transforming the Culture of Youth Ministry at the National Disciple Making Forum. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources like this podcast at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.